Well done. Weren't they awesome? Yes. And the choir was amazing as well. That's all of you, by the way. Uh, what do I got to do here? So uh, during worship in the first service, something that kind of the Lord, I think, put on my heart. Uh, and so this is a request, an encouragement, an exhortation, uh, to use a, a biblical word. Uh, well, encouragement's a biblical word, too. But as, as uh, you prepare to gather on Sunday mornings, ask the Lord, Lord, who do you want me to minister to? You know, ask the Lord who he wants you to minister to when you gather, because it's, it's, uh, it's all of us in this together. Amen? Church, family, no one stands alone. So when you walk through the door, all right, Lord, you put this person on my heart, or, or you, I don't know who you want me to, but I know you want me to sit with someone and pray with them, or just share a donut with them. Well, not the same donut, but share donuts <laughs> with them. Bless one another. Hug. High five. On the way out, the, uh, the Lucas, I was doing that high, uh, up high, down low, too slow, except Eden, like, beat me, and I wasn't, I wasn't, or I was too slow, and she wasn't. But, you know, just encourage one another because family, that's what we do take care of each other, encourage each other. And then go beyond that. Lord, I'm on my way to work. Who do you want me to minister to today? Encourage, care for, bless. On my way to my kids' ball game. What parents do you want me to talk to? And that we would just be purposeful about sharing the love of Christ with others and so that's the encouragement so uh karen thompson encouraged me this week she sent me a meme uh or, or a, a, a picture of some words a, a little story and she she said i just thought you'd like to see this and i texted her back oh this is awesome you're gonna hear this again really soon and so she heard it in the first service so i want to share this uh but it's kind of cool because a neighbor shared this with her, a neighbor who saw everything many of you did at her house a couple weeks ago, and a neighbor who watched this church family walk with Karen uh, as she uh, walked with her husband through his cancer and then uh, when he went to be with the Lord. And so she's, she's reconnecting with the Lord, and she needs a church family. And so we need to pray for uh, Christine that... Uh, she would connect with the church family, maybe here, hopefully here, uh, but wherever the Lord would lead her. So this is what Christine sent to Karen, Karen sent to me, and I share with you. And it's really cool as I share this because you go, oh, well, Tim and the worship team are so well coordinated. Well, that was all a God thing because they didn't know about this. So here we go. A boy asked his father, Dad, what is the size of God? Then the father looked up into the sky, saw an airplane, and he said, Son, how big is that airplane? And the son said, oh, that's very small. I can hardly see it. And then the father took the son to an airport and showed him some planes and, and he pointed this one giant plane and he said, how big is that plane? He said, oh, that plane 
is huge. Then the father told him this. He said, God's size depends on how close or far you are to him. The closer you are to him, the greater and greater he will be in your life. Amen? See, he's great and big and amazing and sovereign all the time. But the closer we get to him, the more apparent that becomes. So I want to ask you today, how big, how great is your God? How big, how great is your God today? God created each of us to live extraordinary lives. And I know every person in this room wants to live that extraordinary life. Did anyone wake up this morning and say, Lord, I just want to be mediocre today? We all want to make a difference. We all want to do the most good in the world that we can. None of us want to settle for mediocrity, a humdrum life, a comfortable life, a go-along, to get-along kind of life. And yet, when we look at our past, when we look at our present, and when we ponder what an extraordinary life could look like in the future, sometimes we say these words, if only, if only. So when we consider the extraordinary life that God has for us, we don't step into that life because we think we're limited. We think that because of our limitations, we actually can't live an extraordinary life. We look at our past, we consider what we've done or what we haven't done. We consider who we've become or who we haven't become. And we focus on the if-onlys. If only I had, if only I hadn't. And so somehow we get it in our head, we are not worthy, or we are simply unable to step into the extraordinary future that God has for us. Or we look at our present reality, and we give up on the future reality that God has for us. We look at our resources that we don't have. And we decide that the extraordinary life is not possible because we don't have this or we don't have that. We say, I don't have enough to take me on the journey that God has for me. Sometimes we listen to what other people say. Things like, you're not good enough. Or you didn't do enough for me. And we let their words keep us from the extraordinary future that God has for us. Or we look at the physical or the emotional or the mental struggles we face. And we decide it is impossible to live an extraordinary life. We say my limitations prevent me from taking the journey that God has for me. I want you to imagine something. Imagine if you suddenly lost your arms and your legs. That'd be it, right? No extraordinary life for me. Just pain and suffering until 
one day I meet Jesus in heaven. Well, this is Nick Wojcik. He has no arms. He has no legs. And he has shared the gospel with hundreds of thousands of people around the world. I think he's about, he's less than 40 years old. It says on the picture that he's a painter. That's amazing. That he's a swimmer. That's even more amazing. That he's a skydiver. That's really amazing. And that he's also a motivational speaker. Now that's, that's uh, secret lingo for he shares the gospel whenever he speaks. He's also a husband and a father of four children. So I ask again, how big and great is your God? Do you think that your past and your present prevents you from living the future extraordinary life that God has for you? Today is the last message in our study of the book of Romans. We've studied the entire book very, fairly, very carefully, fairly, very carefully, almost very carefully, very carefully, <laughs> fairly amount. We've gone through the whole book of Romans, and we've studied it each passage by each passage over the last seven months, and today is the epilogue. You know that part in the book, you read a really good book and you don't want it to be over and you hope there's an epilogue and you read the epilogue and it ties it all together, and, but then it's over too, right? And you're like, ah, where's the epilogue to the epilogue? Well, this is an epilogue to the book of Romans, but it's not an ending, but it's a beginning. It's a beginning. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says this, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ, just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Walk in the newness of life. So the book of Romans tells us that our past and our present limitations cannot prevent us from walking in the newness of life tomorrow and each day after that. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we begin our journey with him, and that becomes our extraordinary life. Today, the Holy Spirit wants to help each one of us step into the newness of life that he has for us today. God wants us to experience newness of life every day. He wants us to have newness of life today. He wants us to have newness of life tomorrow and the next day, and the next day. And newness of life begins, as we studied the book of Romans, begins with what we learn to be called justification. And so I just want to review that a little bit as part of our epilogue. So what is justification? It's an act of God in which our sins are forgiven, and he declares, God declares us to be righteous in his sight. And justification comes in two parts. First, we're justified by the blood of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood so that we could be justified. 
In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 9, it says this. For while we were still weak, have you ever been weak? Amen. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Have you ever been ungodly? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, we have been justified by his what? By his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So first we're justified by the blood of Jesus. That's part one. God forgives our past sin. Our sin requires payment. Jesus paid the price. He did it on the cross. He did what we deserved. We receive grace because of what he did on the cross. So when we're justified by the blood, we're saved from the wrath by his love. We're reconciled by God by his death and given new life by his resurrection. God is impartial. No sin is too big or too small. There's not too many sins or too few sins where we need to be justified and where he went to the cross so that we could be justified. So if you think you're worse than someone else, no partiality. If you think you're better than someone else, no partiality. The second part of justification is when we receive the righteousness of Jesus. Part two of justification is when God declares us righteous, not by anything we have done or will do by what Jesus did. When you're justified, your sin is left behind and you're regarded as a person who can enter into a connection with Jesus and his family, the church, the people of God. So we're justified by the blood of Jesus, but we're also justified by our faith. So those two things, Jesus' blood and our faith, go together. In Romans chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, we need to understand what Paul is saying when he says the doers of the word. He's not talking about a religious person who does good things to try and earn their way into a relationship with Jesus. A doer of the word is a person who puts their faith in Jesus. And then Jesus begins to work in them so that they can do what God has called them to do. So our faith in Jesus causes God to respond by justifying us forgiving us and declaring us righteous. And when we are justified by faith, we have peace with God, we have access to his grace, and we rejoice in the hope of his glory. When we're justified, we're forgiven and made righteous by the blood of Jesus and by our faith. When we're justified, the door is opened to an extraordinary, to an extraordinary life, to the great adventure, to the journey with Jesus. When we're justified, the door is open to life. 
On Friday, Betsy and I traveled to visit uh, some cousins and, and family members on her dad's side. We hadn't seen them in, in many, many years. Uh, eight, I think, seven or eight years we figured out. And at the end, when it was time to go, it was time for the, the picture, right? The picture of everyone together. But, but nobody had like the selfie stick thing or a tripod. So somebody would take a picture and then they'd get in the picture and somebody else would take a picture. So somebody was always missing from the picture and it was like this dance. And then one of the neighbors hollered out, hey, Emily, which is, is the cousin who lived in the house. Uh, do you want me to all of your pictures? They, she probably saw this dance going on and wondered what in the world was going on. And so she, this young lady came over and, and w- she said, what, what are you guys celebrating? And we said, uh, well, it's a family reunion. And she said, oh, my family only gets together at funerals. And I think we can, many of us can relate to that. And it struck me when she said that. That's really part of our culture, and it's really sad. But it's really different in the church. Because every Sunday, the church family gets together to celebrate life, to encourage, to, to look at each other and say, Bill, I am glad you're here. It's so good to see Caden here after him being sick. You know, and we encourage each other and we pray for one another and we celebrate life together. Also on Friday, was Tom Booth Sr.'s funeral, and Jackie is here, and, and uh, Tom's uh, wife, and, and her son Tom, and Wendy, and, and their three boys, uh, Austin, Logan, and Daniel. I think Daniel scooted out with Tom. He's trying to keep Tom out of trouble back there. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, we're glad you're here, and we're praying for you. And it was a real blessing to be part of the celebration of your husband's life. And afterwards, uh, someone came up to me, and this, this is said quite frequently at, at funerals. They said, well, I wish we had said all these things when he was still alive. And we get to do that with each other as a church family. We get to celebrate life together. We get to comfort each other in the hard times. get to care for each other when we're down. When you're low, the rest of us get to help you. And when I'm low, you get to help me and so on. And, and so when we're justified and invited into God's family, we get to celebrate something. And that something we get to celebrate <coughs> is life eternal life. So this door is thrown open by justification. The blood of Jesus and our faith. And so when the door is thrown open, what do we do? We've entered into the newness of life that God offers us. What comes next? What comes next is this extraordinary life 
of new life every day. Newness of life every day. As a follower of Christ, there's never a day that you won't be alive. And so we can choose to have the newness of life, or we can choose to say, no, God, I don't want to be alive. Come back tomorrow. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, Paul wrote this. This is maybe uh, the, the, like the core verse in the whole book of Romans. It says, Paul writes, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is re- revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Have you ever heard this or something like this? Believe in Jesus, receive Jesus into your heart, put your faith in him, and your life will be wonderful. Have you ever heard that? And that's all true. But sometimes we misunderstand the your life will be wonderful part. See, because when we hear your life will be wonderful, sometimes we, we think, okay, well, that means that God will make life go smoothly and without hardship. And it will. So we take the word faith and we combine it with safe, and when we give our lives to Jesus, our faith will be safe, or we'll have safe faith. When faith should be linked with the word dangerous. When we give our life to Christ, we should have dangerous faith. Dangerous, as we I always mention, not to people, but to sin and brokenness and despair. So Paul says in the, in the gospel, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. So our first step of faith is believing faith. I didn't believe in Jesus, now I do believe in Jesus. I've stopped trying to figure out who God is, and I believe he is who he says he is. I'm done trying to rescue myself, I'm going to let Jesus rescue me so the gospel is the power of salvation for to everyone who believes and then from believing faith we step into trusting faith this is the faith in the realm of real life the day-to-day struggles and victories of real life this is faith where we trust god with our day-to-day lives paul says that the righteousness of god is revealed from faith for faith shows us little by little, every day, what he's doing in our lives. With trusting faith, we walk by faith and not by sight. When life doesn't go the way we intended it to go, our circumstances are difficult, traumatic, something happens that we didn't expect, we put our trust in Jesus. Believing faith is a huge step. Trusting faith is also a huge step. Trusting faith means this, that you have to relinquish control of your life. Is anyone having a panic attack? I have to control my life. Are you thinking that? Like, if I don't control it, who will? And so, safe faith is when we say, 
I believe in Jesus, but I trust me. Trusting faith is also hard, not only for those who like to control their lives, but for those who want Jesus to be in control. Maybe you're thinking, wait, isn't that what you're talking about? Stop being in control and let Jesus be in control. No, Jesus will not be in control of your life. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will direct your steps. He will light the path before you, but he will not control your life. You have to have dangerous faith to follow him. You have to follow him. He will not control you. So trusting faith is faith that follows no matter what the circumstances are around us. Trusting faith is faith where we walk by faith and not by sight. And then trusting faith leads to faithful faith. Paul calls faithful followers of Jesus righteous, and he says the righteous shall live by faith. Faithful faith is when we simply follow Jesus because we get to. We get to read the Bible. We get to pray. We get to love our enemies. We get to show loving kindness to the world. That's just faithful faith. I believe Jesus. I trust him with my day-to-day lives, so I will follow him my day-to-day life, and so I'll follow him. I'll just be faithful. I will have faith that is faithful, and believing, trusting, faithful faith becomes dangerous. I saw an example of dangerous faith Friday at Tom Booth Sr.'s funeral. His daughter-in-law, Wendy, came to the podium, shared a testimony, and I'm going to have her share it in a few weeks. But she talked about how she went to her father-in-law's bedside just a few days before he passed and how she shared the gospel with him. And he responded. And when someone gives their life to Jesus, what happens? They're saved forever. Forever. Thomas James Booth will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus because Jesus work through Wendy to share the good news with her father-in-law. That's dangerous faith. Way out of her comfort zone, she will tell you. But she was faithful. Faithful. Because she got to do it, and so she did it. You know, and when we're faithful... There will be sin in our life still. We believe, we trust, and we're faithful, but we will goof up. We will do something that's sinful. And the good news is when we fall short, we confess our sin, and Jesus forgives us and purifies us of all unrighteousness. We're still justified by the blood of Jesus and by our faith. We still have eternal life. And then we're forgiven again of the sin that we did. So when we fall short, turn back to the Lord and confess our sin. 
and he forgives us. So if you're a follower of Christ, that means you've been justified. And if you've been justified, then you can trade in the life that you want to live for something much better. Have you ever traded in a car? Anybody? Did you go and say, I'd like to trade in my 1995 for a 1987? Those cars are really old. Right? You never trade in a car for a, a car that's worse. Right? I'm not crazy, am I? Okay, I've never traded in a car. I drive them until they fall apart, and then I get another one. Well, when we trade in the life that we have, we get a better life. A life that's designed to be extraordinary. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been justified by his blood and by your believing, trusting faith, then you can walk in the newness of life every day. And so if you've been a follower of Christ for many years, and today you're not feeling the newness of life, you can step into that. You can forget the limitations, the things you don't have or the things you have, the person you were, the things you did. You can give all that up in a new way and experience today newness of life. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, you can experience that same newness of life. Surrender to Jesus. Believe in him. Call on his name and you'll be saved. You'll be justified. And then you'll live forever and every day you can experience newness of life. And so we trade it all in for newness of life. You can walk in the newness of life no matter what you have or don't have. You can walk in the newness of life no matter what you have done or what you haven't done, no matter who you've been or who you've become. You can walk in the newness of life no matter what people say about you or what they don't say about you. Because we have the newness of life today, we can trade in our past and our present and live the extraordinary lives that God has for us as we step into the future. We can take our believing and faithful, our believing and trusting and faithful faith and watch it become dangerous. Watch it become dangerous. You know, we, um, we're surrounded by a broken world. And we know because we're part of that world, we have brokenness in us, but we also have life. But it seems to me like the Lord is showing me the brokenness of the world. in radically new ways. And I know I've shared this before, you know, as Tara, as Tara comes home after a shift and shares her stories, it's like, what a broken world. And, and uh, Naomi's now social worker at an elementary school, and she comes home, and, and it's just a world of brokenness. And we go into the high school. You know, we had our first club at Mentor High, and one of the students, I was talking to her, and 
and she said, you know, I asked her, she said she used to live in Painesville. Why did you move from Painesville? She said, oh, I moved, I moved to Menor when my parents went. <laughs> and there was so much pain in her face. Can you imagine being a, a, a sophomore in high school and all of a sudden you have to move and your parents have separated or divorced? And so newness of life. We need the newness of life, and then we need to bring the newness of life to the world. Nobody in this room wants to be trapped in a mediocre, humdrum, comfortable, get-along, go-along-to-get-along kind of life. None of us want to settle for that. And we don't have to because our believing, trusting, faithful faith gives us a pathway for an extraordinary life. And an extraordinary life leads us to a, a life that brings hope. A life that brings hope to the people around us. Who remembers the two Greek words for time? Kronos and Kairos. Kronos is sequential time. Tick-tock goes the clock. It's the time we're always concerned about, isn't it? Am I late? Am I late again? I'm late again, aren't I? Why am I always late? This thing goes too fast. Right? That's Kronos time. It's the clock we're always watching. Don't be looking at your watch. Oh, nobody has watches anymore. Well, most people. All right, that's Kronos. Kairos, though, means the right, critical, or opportune moment, a moment in time when perhaps everything changes. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and 12. Besides this, you know the time, you know the kairos, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You know the time, you know the kairos. We experience our extraordinary life in Christ when we trade Kronos for Kairos. When Wendy went to that room where her father-in-law was, she was trading Kronos time for Kairos time. That's what we get to do. Think about it for a moment. We live forever. That changes the whole meaning of time, doesn't it? You have all the time, period. You have all the time, right? From now, you have all the time because eternity means your time will never end. And when we think about it that way, wow, we can trade Kronos time for Kairos time because time will never run out. You, you're going to have to think about that a while because we all have schedules. I'm, I've been thinking about it all week. But wait, 
There's so much I got to do. But we need to trade Kairos time for Kronos time because Kronos time will never run out. But if we miss a Kairos moment, maybe it's gone. Because we are followers of Jesus, we get to trade our lives that are defined by the limitations of our past and our present for the extraordinary life that God has for us. We get to trade Kronos time for Kairos time. Let's pray. Lord, help me, help all of us understand this call to trade Kronos time for Kairos time. Lord, we are thankful that we will never run out of Kronos time. And Lord, we're thankful for the Kairos moments you put in our life where we will have the opportunity to share your love and your good news with others. Lord, help us understand how to trade Kronos time for Kairos time. Help us walk in the Kairos moments that you give us. Help us walk in the extraordinary life that you give us. Help us walk on the great adventure that you give us. Help us journey together as a church family so that others will experience your love and will come to know you, will have believing, trusting, and faithful faith. Lord, we want to make that trade. We know it will be difficult, but we ask you, Holy Spirit, to move in us in such a way that we make the trade and we don't look back. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand.